Liz, are you come? You're solo today. <laughs> All right. Um, for you moms out there, just so last week I think I read from a little bit of the LA Times editorial, just so you guys know I'm cultured. Costco connection today, um, so you guys can. I've, I just found this interesting. Um, and I just like facts. So these are from the Pew Research Center, as reported on in Costco magazine. Sorry, I keep, <laughs> I keep on looking at Robert because Robert works at Costco. So um, just we're having a little. Uh, the number of estimated, the, the estimated number of mothers in the U.S. is 85 million. Congratulations, Molly, for becoming part of that number. Um, I think it was 84.999999999. Uh, this was 40% of households with mothers who are either the sole or primary source of income for the family, uh, which is, yeah, that's our house. Is our my wife is the the primary source of income for the family, and then I, tell me if you guys think this is high, low, or whatever. 26.7 years is the median age at which women become mothers in the U.S. High, low, normal. 26.7? Almost 27? Sound about right? It seems like that number is probably increasing. I mean, that may not be a California number. Yeah. The percentage of single parents in the U.S. who are mothers is 79.5. So for single parents, it's uh, 80% of it is they're all mothers. And then last stat is the labor force with participation rate of all women with children who are under 18 years of age. So 56.6. This was a little confusing stat. The labor force participation rate. Got that? of working mothers, basically, of women with children under the age of 18 years of age is 56.6. So half of uh, the labor force out there pretty much is all, all working moms. Um, ladies and gentlemen, your fun facts today brought to you by Costco. <laughs> I do not get paid or receive any money for that. Um, we want to jump into this passage in John as we're working through this I Am series. Jesus is going to talk about being the vine. Um, it's in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I want us to read this together a little bit slowly, um, kind of in the round as well, too. This is really a beautiful passage. Um, and uh, Yeah, I was just kind of struck as I read it a few times this week. I don't know. It's just one of those passages in scripture. I think that, you know, obviously in, in this upper room discourses we've been in uh, the last, the last two weeks. Um, yeah, it's just, it just kind of stands out as, as far as if you could like be poetic in a certain way, Jesus, Jesus really does something special here in my opinion. So um, we'll read these words slowly and again, kind of more or less in the round. So take a verse or two. And just, you're either listening or reading, but just allow these words to kind of wash over you. And we believe that the Bible is, it's active, it's alive. It's not just words that we read off a page. Um, it actually, um, as we 
as we take it in, it, it changes our disposition towards the world uh, and, and our inner disposition as well too. So we believe that that happens as we read it. So as you read it, um, yeah, let's just allow it to, to kind of affect us and affect and, and change our affect as well. So um, I'll start off. I am the true vine. Again, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as also I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself but must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you will ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciple. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Yeah, great. Uh, just a just a beautiful passage again. The way that Jesus puts this, the way that He uses this metaphor of the vine, um, you kind of real feel this this kind of intimacy and connectedness that He's having. This is Thursday night, right? This is a Thursday night. Jesus is going to be arrested later on that night. He's going to the cross on Friday, so He has this moment with His disciples. When Jesus says that I am the vine, one of the things that He's doing, real, just to kind of lay the groundwork, is He's obviously establishing himself as, you know, kind of kind of in the nature of the Old Testament. He's continuing the Old Testament. The story of Israel as Israel would go forth. Israel would often be compared to a vine, right? So in Psalm 80, when David's writing this psalm, um, he says, you brought a vine out of Egypt, right? You drove the nations out and you planted this vine, this vine that gets planted into the promised land. You cleared the ground for it, took deep root and filled the land. Hosea says, Israel was a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit, right? Jesus, in the parable of the vineyard in Mark 12, right? He says that a man kind of goes away. He, he plants or he plants a vineyard, 
puts a wall around it and puts a wine press um, in the vineyard. He goes away and then he rents out the vineyard to people. And then do you remember he sends the servants to collect the fruit? And Jesus uses this whole parable of the vineyard to, to kind of show how Israel was, was this vineyard that has, has gone astray, has gone awry. It's, it's not right. So when Jesus comes in first off and he just, he just claims, right? He says, this metaphor, this analogy that has been kind of used throughout, the, throughout Israel's history, Jesus is again showing he, the fulfillment actually happens in him. So that's, that's real base. But the thing that really stu- stood out to me is in John 15, 15, Jesus says this passage, he says, I know, or he says this verse, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, right? For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now, this word friend is kind of a fascinating word that in both the Aramaic and the Greek, the word kind of, you know, intimate friends or, or this deep friends is actually kind of translated those cared for from the womb. Isn't that a beautiful image that Jesus uses there, right? This is how, like, like Jesus isn't just like buddies, like, hey, you know, we kind of hang out together. Jesus is showing the friendship that he has, especially speaking to his disciples, the friendship has, that he has for them, the intimacy, the relationship, is those who are cared for from the womb. So here we are on Mother's Day. Jesus uses this passage. I'm not like the guy who's going to like do the full-on Mother's Day sermon, but I was just like, oh, okay, Jesus, you're making it work for me today, so we're going to do, we're going to kind of play off this, right? Um, now, we have this beautiful kind of very natural maternal imagery that Jesus gives us here in this, in this passage. And as you've studied the scriptures or as you've been around the, the faith for some years, one of the dominant images of scriptures is kind of more the paternal image, right? The father um, to the child, right? Our father who are in heaven, um, how we become adopted into the family of God. Um, and, you know, and, and here in this passage, we almost kind of take that theme and we almost consider it from a, a different angle. Think about in John 3, when he, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he, he gives this call to Nicodemus to be born again, right? Well, what kind of image is that? That's, that's a maternal image, right? That you would Um, you know, this kind of rebirth or this being reborn. And here in John 15, Jesus uses this word that, that really kind of says, um, you know, has this, this, this womb nature, this maternal nature. So I, I've been thinking about this passage and, um, you know, Molly, I was going to have you come up and, 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 uh, and sit up here and Ronnie's kind of Ruben, huh? And Ronnie's kind of ruining the vibe holding the baby. But I'm thinking about this. <laughs> Give up the baby because you guys are going to want to look over at Molly in a few minutes and, and, and watch this. Because I'm thinking about this passage in almost like this kind of, again, this kind of maternal lens, right? Um, and I want to read this. And again, Jolene, this will be really special for you because you get to look over at your daughter and your grandson and it'll be so special. Um, and maybe I could do this again next year and my wife will have a, another baby. And you're missing your baby, so it's, it's we're... we're but think about the way, again, think about this image that Jesus is using here. And let's reread this, right? Where he says, I am the true vine and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. Think about the way that a mother would do that for a child, right? 
the, the discipline, the saying, no, you can't do that. We need to pull back on this so that you can flourish even more, right? Verse 3, you are already clean. You are already, what Jesus is saying, a clean is a weird translation. You are already fruitful, right? Jesus is saying to the disciples, you are already fruitful because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. A mom saying to the child, you know, you, you can't exist outside of me. It's impossible, right? If Max decided, eh, I, don't, I don't need my mom anymore, I'm good. Like we can, I'm just going to go do my own thing. Max would not exist anymore, right? Jesus is using this image for people who say, I don't need Jesus. I just can do my own thing. I can exist outside of him. And Jesus says, you cannot, right? That's, that's impossible. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are just branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, um, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. A child who remains in their mother's care, the, the, the loving nature of that mother what do you want? We'll do it. We'll take care of it, right? I'll take care of you, uh, right? Ask for whatever you want. You want a grilled cheese? Sure. You know, sorry though. Maybe I'm just a little hungry this morning. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then verse nine, as the father has loved me, right? As we receive the love from the father, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, right? To see a child full of joy, flourishing, having life abundantly teeming over, right? Joy being complete. My command is this, to love each other as I have loved you, Right? Isn't that what we want for our children to grow and, and to love one another, to love this world the way that Christ has loved us? And then we get the standard for God's love, which is greater love has none than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you those cared for from the womb. I call you my friends, right? For everything I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you, that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And then this beautiful command at the very end, this is my command, right? Jesus speaking this on a Thursday night, right? About to be arrested. This is my command, to love each other. Um, for... When we, when we read this passage in this way, and again, kind of having this image, even in our presence right now, to me, and again, as I read this and thought about this, um, I, I was, it was so tangible, far more deep to, to, to experience this or think about this really in the way that a mother loves their child. Um, let me say three things on this passage. Uh, I don't know why I've been stuck on the number three, but here we are on the magic number three again, and we'll be done in about 
five minutes, I think, because I want some moms to just, so it's really short. I think the first thing that really stood out to me in this whole text, I just put no denying the difficulty, because Jesus kind of starts off this passage by saying, oh, I'm going to start cutting off branches, and I'm going to start pruning you back. And it's like right out of the gate, he's like, hey, I'm, things are going to get difficult, right? Which we know that there's, again, pruning being a metaphor for cutting off unnecessary things in our lives um, is, is not fun, right? It's not easy. It's not something that we enjoy. I would have rather had Jesus bury these verses maybe down in 10 to 15 when my mind kind of starts to wander a little bit. And you're like, oh, yeah. He really just starts right out of the gate saying, like, you're going to be pruned. Things are going to be cut off. Um, um, the excess is going to be removed. And for most of us that live in the West right here in America and kind of middle class suburbia land, our lives are largely constructed of actually accumulating excess in order to make ourselves comfortable, right? Um, and Jesus says that his pathway forward is actually the exact opposite. And I want to remind you that if you're going through a hard time, I know that we have some things that we've been praying over here, and I left those up intentionally. If you're going through a hard time, or if you're going through a difficult moment, um, one of the things that I was kind of reading and studying through said that the father or the gardener is never nearer to the branches than when he's pruning them. Right? God is never nearer to the branches, to the vine, than when he's pruning them. It is the most intimate moment that you have. Henry Nouwen says it like this. He says, grateful people learn to celebrate even amid life's hard and harrowing memories because they know that pruning is no mere punishment, but preparation, right? Jesus just right out of the gate says, I, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then he starts talking about pruning and cutting off and all the difficult things. But um, we have to remember that we know that when God is pruning, when he's doing this, he's preparing us. It's not punishment. He's not mad at us. He's not frustrated. He's not striking you down for some secret sin or something else that's gone. He might just be preparing you for that next moment, right? Um, so there's difficulty in life. And then you kind of get to this passage where you ask yourselves, well, Jesus, what kind of fruit are you talking about? What's this fruit that you're talking about? Some interpreters will say, is it the fruit of the Spirit, right? Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, patience, kindness, self-control. I might be missing one or two. But is it the fruit of the Spirit? Is Jesus talking about that's the kind of fruit that will be produced in our lives, right? Um, is the fruit, like ministerial fruit, right? He has these disciples who he's going to send out into the world. Is it just kind of their efforts of evangelism, like that they're going to go forth and do, you know, these, these great ministries, their, their churches are going to explode and their ministry is going to explode and all these people. Is that the kind of fruit that he's talking about? Um, Jan Johnson in her book, The Divine um, Hearing God in Scripture, ca calls it possession of the divine life, right? And she says that that happens through knowledge of God in verse 15, right? That you would know God, that you would know who he is. And then verses 9 through 14, she kind of summarizes being loved by God and the joy that follows. That is possession of the divine life. To know God, to have that, and not just up here, right? But here as well too, here deep in our hearts, to, to, to know God 
And then to be loved by God and the joy that follows, right? Um, and remember, I, I always point this out. Anytime we talk about fruit, this is really important because when we think about possession of the divine life, when we think about living in that divine life, um, I always want to point out that, you know, in this particular section, vines don't just bear fruit for themselves, right? The divine life is for the benefit of others so that you might overflow out of your deep connection to God, to others, and display what a vibrant Trinitarian life would look like, right? It's not so that a vine can say, look how many beautiful grapes I have on myself. Um, it's that people would come and taste and see that God is good and that he is active and working in your life and that there is abundance, right? And that there is, uh, there is abundance and there is an overflow and there's power, and there's hope, and there's joy, right? That is why we bear fruit. Um, I have another one that I, looks like I deleted all the, all the slides accidentally too. Last thing I was just want to say, Jesus ends with this command, read a, he, he ends this command to love one another. And it's always important for us to think about what, what love really is. And the definition that I kind of always default back to is Dallas Willard's definition, which is willing the best in the other, right? Willing the best in the other. Because Jesus says, at the very end, he says, this is my command to love one another. And when we think about love, we think about things that we get emotional towards, that kind of feeling, that romance, that, that teenage kind of gushiness. Dallas Willard says that love is willing the best for the other. Um, this, this other guy, Paul David Tripp, I, he expands on it. He says it like this. He says, love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require recip um, reciprocity. I don't know how to say this word. Huh? Reciprocity, reciprocity but reciproc reciprocation. I think I'm like com com combining the words in my head. <laughs> like the wires are shorting out mentally. Watch it. Um, say that one more time. Reciprocation. Reciprocation. I wonder if it's because I spent too much time this week reading the Costco magazine. <laughs> Let me start with me. Love is willing, willing self-sacrifice for the good of the other, right? You're willing self-sacrifice for the good of the other. That does not require reciprocity. Reciprocity? Lord, have mercy. Of, or that person being loved or des uh, deserving. So it doesn't require, you know, that you have to get something back in return or that other pe person being loved or deserving. Um, but again, you just think about that other one. Jesus says to, to, to this, his disciples, I want you to will the best in one another, right? That's what love is. And it involves self-sacrifice, right? It involves not thinking that you're going to get anything back. That's something that I've realized that I really struggle with over the years is that um, I have this, I can often, and my wife would definitely attest to this, I can often kind of retreat into this self-pity. Oh, look at me, I'm doing so much stuff for everybody else and nobody loves me. Um, I'm not getting any love in return. I can really um, sink into that pretty easily and then I kind of spiral downward. You guys think, no, not Eric. Oh, yes, Eric does that. 
Um, and I kind of spiraled downward into this, just like, again, this little self-pity party um, that, you know, again, when I think about the real definition of love, love doesn't require that you just get something in return, right? And you love the person, um, whether that person being loved is even deserving, right? Even if they don't deserve it, you still will the best for them with self-sacrifice. Um, short little sermon this morning. Um, this beautiful passage, if nothing else, just allow this passage to kind of just sink over you and, and, and um, just soak in this passage for the next week or so and just think about being connected to the vine. What does that look like for you? Um, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for you guys to be here this morning. And I, like I said, it's a little bit of a short kind of awkward transition. Let me pray. And then ladies, let's just have a little, have a little time for you just to relax and uh, before the Mother's Day madness really kind of, well, it's probably already been mad for, for quite a few of you this morning. But uh, let's just have a little bit of a moment um, for you guys to have some, some peace and quiet and some connection time. So, Lord, um, you give us this beautiful passage of, of being connected to the vine. And again, you know, for me, really what I was thinking about this week was just that connection you know between the mother and 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 the child that that you call us those who are cared for from the womb man that's the intimacy and the level and the kindness and the compassion and the care that you have for us and you know as as we kind of probably all snuck a look and we're looking at little max over there that's us. That really is us. So dependent on mom and dad. So dependent on our father. And, and in this image, this, this kind of maternal image as well, too. So dependent. We, we think that we're so, we think that we, you know, we, we get this idea that we can just go do it on our own. We can get by on our charisma, our skills, our wits, our knowledge. And maybe it's a moment this morning to humble ourselves and say, I can't do that anymore. I can only get by on being connected to the vine. Help us, um, help us to, to, to kind of live in, in that space. Thank you, Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Ladies, uh, I think the, the patio, you can kind of cruise out onto the patio, and I'm going to make a little, uh, little treat for you. There's, is there coffee out there? Is it, all, is it all used up? I know I have some more coffee ready to go, and we have some, a couple different flavored creamers if you want to try some of those. And, uh, yeah, we'll do that. And then, and then gents, if you want to go grab the kids. I don't even know what they're doing in there. Are they almost done with the... They got Chris tied up. <laughs> Somebody go rescue Chris. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, uh, well, I'd say like 1130-ish if we kind of all want to meet back at the patio. We can bring the kids.